the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results. We have a very special guest today, Holly Jean. And in case you don't know who this Holly Jean person is, she is a holistic business coach, a speaker, a podcast host, an author, and the founder of Business Build with Throwdown. Her career spans from technology to communication, as well as organizational change, public relations, and content strategy. She has dedicated over 12 years helping business leaders get their groove back physically, mentally, and emotionally. She led a global policy initiative to influence future leaders' impact on communities. And fun fact, she played in the Carnegie Hall first chair clarinet and is a black belt in karate. Business owners hire Holly to master the art of science of real success because most people, they lack direction, they lack action and results. She helps people to define and design a business roadmap for impactful visibility, intentional profitability, and endless sustainability. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Holly Jean. Thank you for that introduction. It sounds like such a mouthful there, but man, I feel <laughs> pumped up. I'm ready, Andrew. <laughs> oh, that, that's very necessary. People want to know who are you, so I figured I'd introduce them. And per usual, we want to know, Holly, what is the biggest, most badass accomplishment you're most proud of? Well, most recently, I did my first TEDx. And the reason I say that is big and badass is it took me 60 hours, six zero hours of preparation. And I have done keynote speeches on international stages. But let me tell you guys, when you're preparing for 10 minutes or less to get your idea across with emotion, connection, and something they're going to take away from that speech, it takes so much to dial that in. And then also just for her scene with co-speakers to prepare for that, to make eye contact, have the right gestures, change the tonality of your voice, make sure they feel what you're trying to express when you're faced with the bear in the woods. So that was my biggest accomplishment. And also (laughs) when I did that recording, the first time I got on stage, my mic cut in and out the whole time. Oh no. So I had to do it twice. (laughs) Oh man. You had to do a TEDx talk twice live. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Can you imagine being that dialed in? You just like nailed your talk after 60 hours of prep. You get off stage and you know, as you're giving it, because I've spoken before, so they're thinking while I'm delivering it, I'm going to have to do this again, aren't I? Because the audio is not working. I get off stage and I say, how are you going to fix this? They say, you have two options. Either way, you have to do it again. First option, <laughs> you're going to have to do it in front of an empty audience when we're done. Or second option, we'll take a short break, go right ahead again, and we'll test the audio equipment. I said, I want to go right ahead because I can't wait another hour and a half. Interesting. Wow. That, that is a, a good story. And and what is your TEDx talk called? Is it on YouTube yet? What, what, how can people find it? 
Well, when you, I will be posting it on LinkedIn and all the social medias. It won't be ready for, I believe, another five weeks. It takes six weeks for the editing process and for Ted to approve it and put it on the channel. And I believe it will only be hosted on the Ted channel because he signed a contract for that. Mm. But we're doing, for people that are local in Raleigh, we're going to do a celebration party on October 21st. So reach out to me if you're interested in that. And we're going to do that at The Nest in downtown Raleigh and celebrate the success of that talk. And the TED Talk topic was how to face your fear in this new era of uncertainty. Mm, I love that. So you can find that. And just for those listening in, in case you listen after the fact, that'll be October 20th, 2022, when you can access that TEDx talk. I love that. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we definitely want to hear, Holly, how the heck, sorry, did you say the TED Talk or TEDx Talk? TEDx, yes. TEDx, gotcha. So how did you get to that point of giving a TEDx talk? Like, how did uh, Tell us more about that journey, how you uh, got to this point. Yeah, well, I've been speaking for a long time. And a few years ago, I wrote a bucket list because I met Trav Bell, the bucket list guy. He was one of the guests on my podcast. And I was like, hmm, what's on my bucket list? (laughs) Mm -hmm. One of those things was doing a TEDx talk. My mom is obsessed with TED. And of course, you want to go for TED, but TEDx is the next next best thing. And so I started to figure out how to navigate that. So I got really smart and I started reaching out to curators for all of the local stages for TEDx in my state and surrounding states and just started building a relationship with them. Didn't pitch like speaking or anything of that nature, but said, hey, let's have a virtual coffee. We'd love to get to know you, learn about you and your business and what you're really excited about in the next quarter. And then eventually a couple of them reached out to me and said, Hey, I have a TEDx event coming up. I noticed you're a speaker. Would you be interested in applying to our event? I said, well, of course I would. And then one of them said that they had a short list and I was on it because they knew like and trusted me. And I was like, awesome. So guys, if you take nothing away from this relationships, networking, that's the essence of success. I love that. And but how long ago did you know that you wanted to give a TEDx talk? It wasn't your bucket list that you said, I want to do a TEDx talk. That's how that all came about? It was on my bucket list for a few years. And then I had quite a few interviews and calls with people that had been speakers previously, attended different TEDx events, and asked them how they did it. And a lot of it's nomination. You can self-nominate. So if we go back in time about a year ago... I actually applied to one of my alma maters at Elmhurst College for a TEDx event. And I, it was self-nomination. And I did that. And I did not receive a spot for speaking. I think they were more slated towards some of the faculty members and students, which is fine. So I was really disheartened by that. And then I had three or four months later, a conversation with somebody else who did a TEDx talk at NC State and asked her how she got it. And she said, oh, well, they asked me for four years in a row. And I finally said, yes. I said, well, that's unusual. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But she also told me how stressful it was. And at this point, it was also simultaneously reaching out to curators and building that relationship. So I had already kind of put the seeds out there, was planting those feelers and just setting the intention for what I wanted. And after I had the conversation with her about how hard it was, And then I talked to my coach and she said, Holly, every time you set an intention and you take action, the key is let go and trust. Hmm. And I said, you're right. So I just stopped. I let go and just, I was like, if it's going to work out, it's going to work out. And then a month later, I got a spot. Wow. You know, that's such a difficult life lesson to, uh, to, to think about in the process because, you know, 
there's just so many analogies of the importance of going after something until you get it versus saying you want something, taking a couple actions and then just letting it go essentially. How do you balance that quote unquote forcing a result in your life versus um, knowing when to that knowing that you want a result, but you can't quote unquote force us to, to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I'll show, I'll show a story because I feel like people understand things better with stories. So for example, when I went about finding my publisher for my book, I was hitting my head against the wall and I was researching publishers, researching the process, doing a lot of networking on LinkedIn, but I couldn't really find the right person that was resonating with me. And I talked to my coach and she said, well, maybe you should just let go and focus on one of your other goals for a little bit and continue networking, continue reaching out to people, but just, just know that that person, you're going to find them. So again, I didn't really stop taking action. I was still planting the seeds of intention, but I stopped having the expectation of a specific outcome. And I also just trusted that if I continued to take action, it would eventually fall into place. But instead of sticking to a timeline and trying to force it on my timeline, when you release that, it happens really fast. And it's pretty magical, actually. So as soon as I listened to her advice, I think it was six months later, I met my publisher, who was also my writing coach, and she helped me completely get unstuck. I didn't realize that I was trying to write three books in one. <laughs> and so when I realized that, I was like, wow, you're hired. And the name of her business was Brave Healer Productions, which is completely brand aligned, aligned with where I want to go, mission and vision for my business, and aligned with the, my message for my book. And so it just fell into place. And then what's really interesting is once we moved that one milestone out of the way and we removed that block, it was so easy. I mean, writing the book only took me three months. I spent an hour or two every morning, even while I was traveling, writing bits and pieces. And then after that, it was, you know, a few months of editorial and obviously book cover formatting, all that. And then I think from start to end, it was maybe eight months but from starting with the publisher and starting to write the book to publication, which mm. is very, very fast. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh my gosh. And I know it feels like nowadays most people self-publish in the self-publishing world, but you were adamant about finding a publisher, right? Yeah. Yeah. For some reason. So for my bucket list, I've been a writer since I was really little. I've like won writing awards and I've always oh. had this dream in my head that I would be a writer like an actual published writer. And I think for me, from a credibility standpoint, and also just because I like to do things the hard way and like <laughs> prove myself to people and maybe to myself, I was like, I have to publish this first one with the publisher. It just felt more real. And I think also, while I might self-publish the future two of the, of the series, I think it was really helpful. I think it would have taken, I know it would have taken a lot longer if I didn't have that person guiding me. And I didn't have access to resources that were trusted and already used. Because you can hire out when you self-publish editors, book cover designers, the formatters for the interior. But when you have somebody to pull that together, it makes it so much easier. And mm. so why give up on possibly never finishing a project that's near and dear to your heart when you can have someone who's an expert walk you through the process? Yeah. And so speaking to Rapid Results entrepreneurs, if, if you go through that journey again to find a publisher, what would you do differently to try and find a, a publisher faster? 
Yeah. So, well, first of all, I'd research the type of publisher you want. There are hybrid publishers and formal publishers. And I would also say, regardless of which route you go, you also want to invest in marketing because none of them really do a very good job on marketing. And I am a marketing pro and there's still a lot that I learned with my first book book publication that I didn't know until I was in it. And it was very stressful, exciting, but very stressful. So when you're looking for a publisher, you want to look at what are the royalties? What are the contractual obligations for the copyright? What you get to keep, what you can and can't do. You want to see what kind of supportive things that they do regarding the book cover design, how much say you have in that. Like for me, it was important that I had a lot of say in the design of my book cover and as well as the interior. Also that, you know, when you go through the editorial process that you have a say in the chemistry between you and the editor, because let me tell you, the editorial process is a lot more stressful than writing Mm. the dang book. And so you're going to go through it. And I've read my book, I think at least six times before it was published because of the editorial process. So really find a publisher that has a good reputation that you trust. You understand the regulations of their contract. And there are all kinds of types of agreements. So there are agreements where you have to buy a certain amount of books per year and they pay you a retainer up front. There are agreements where you're paying up front for things, but you have still split portions of the royalty because they're paying for certain resources to get the book out there. And then I think from a launch perspective, make sure that whoever you're working with, that you have access to running advertising on the KDP file on Amazon, because you'll be more successful during that first launch week and continue momentum when you have that. And if you don't, you miss out on the opportunity for more people to see your message. Oh, these are a lot of golden nuggets, Holly. It's uh, good to hear you definitely know what you're talking about <laughs> because like, it's, it's very clear you've been through several months and years of this kind of work and uh, have the experience. And I love how you're, you're given this, this knowledge that people are like, oh, pay me $1,000 and maybe I'll tell you where to find the KDP. You're like, no, just, just go to the KDP. Like, <laughs> you, you can do it. Let's go into more the art and science of success. I mean, here you are, you're a TEDx speaker, you're a book author, you're a coach, you're, you're doing all these amazing things. Tell us about the, this, this concept and uh, how you discovered this. Yeah, absolutely. So I used to work in corporate America. And with, if there, for those of you watching us live right now, I do not look like I worked in corporate America. <laughs> I am dressed like I run my own business and it's a holistic business. And that is intentional. And so I just kept getting laid off and my layoffs were coupled with really severe health challenges. And I was lucky enough or wise enough to recognize this pattern. And I knew, gosh, this is toxic. This isn't working for me. This is insanity. There has to be a better way. So I took one more job and started getting credentialed in health coaching, life coaching, transformational coaching methodology, and Honestly, I think I thought I would just be doing coaching with individuals. But then as I stepped into this, I realized that my bigger dream that was aligned to my struggle personally was providing people in the holistic wellness space more access. And so this meant working with the business owners of health and wellness companies so that consumers have more access to holistic modalities. So it's really my message is healing the world if you really get to the core of it. And none of us can master the art and success without our health. So if you look at my website, my tagline is health clarity business. And it's in that order for a reason. 
if you're not healthy and you're in pain, you have no idea what you want. You cannot get clarity. And obviously clarity shifts over time. Our identity is shifting as we grow and age and go through different cycles in life. But then with clarity, you have to be really clear on what are your life priorities? What are your values? What characters are you showing up when you step into certain values? Are they aligned correctly to the situation that you're in? And we will talk more about my life and business compass tool that I have, but that's part of that clarity. You know, are you saying yes to the right things and no to the right things so that you're ultimately happy and successful? Have you defined success on your own terms? Do you know what legacy you want to leave behind? This is all related to clarity. And then you have business, of course. So when I work with my clients, of course, we, they want to start right on business. They want to see the nuts and the bolts and make the money and get the lead gen and all the things and increase the revenue. And that's great. But I find more often than not, there are things foundationally missing that are why they've hit a wall in their growth or their start. So that goes back to mindset. But on the business side, my, my proven method here is working and meeting with them where they are to help them take that right next step. Because you guys, we're not in a lack of information, but we are in a lack of focus. So what is the next best step that they need to take to be successful, to hit that revenue goal, to support their employees, and to be healthy and happy individuals so that they can lead? So it's developing that business roadmap for them, but from a holistic approach So I work with people in the holistic space to provide more modalities to the world, but also use a holistic model that works really, really well. And so mastering the art and science of success ultimately means blending these three components of our life and making sure they're optimized and well-balanced. And ironically enough, business owners and even people in the health and wellness space neglect their own health. They're so obsessed with taking care of their clients running that business, being a parent, being a wife or a spouse, that they sometimes forget. And it happens so easily these days. We have this mental health epidemic right at our doorstep. It's probably been here for a while. And companies, you know, they're hiring individuals like myself to come in and talk to their employees and reset, relevel what success means. It's this we're in an identity shift right now, Andrew. We really are. Everybody's shifting how we view the world, how we develop our cultures, our workplaces, and how we build the community and reconnect. Yeah, so that's a good question is, you know, obviously, you know, being in America is about the American dream for a lot of people or they want to get as much wealth and, as, and, as, and build as big a business as possible. But sometimes health gets left behind. Sometimes clarity gets left behind. What advice do you give to people to help encourage them to help find that balance? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I say, stop looking at how others are defining success. So Mm. like we live in America for people tuning in in the US, stop listening to what society and the American dream is. Define what you need to be successful and happy. And this is difficult. Most people cannot answer this question. They Mm. have to step back and really sit with themselves and they don't know what success is. And if they just start and say, oh, money. They have not really defined success for themselves because that's just the starting point. When you have enough finances to live comfortably, to be safe, to eat, to have a shelter over your head, to be safe, then we go to the next part of that. Okay, well, if money is not an issue, what is success? What would make you wake up every morning so inspired, even on days where you feel like crap? 
where you're like, this is so important. I am transforming other people's lives, or I'm doing this thing for my children's future. I'm doing this thing for X audience. What is that thing you want to be remembered for? What is that thing that lights you up inside? That's success, not money. Like, yes, we want to live and pay the bills and and be safe and all that. But what do you want to be remembered for? And for me personally, I want to be remembered for inspiring people, right? Healing the world and inspiring people. And I mean, if people that work with me know one of the things that I say a lot is you've got this. And it's because I believe in the people I work with. You do. You have it within you. So you just have to stop and stop listening to the noise around you. Stop listening to your boss, even your mentor, even your parents. What do you want? And it's a hard question to answer because when you pull away all the onion layers and all of the noise and you pull back that curtain, it's just you. And only you can answer what makes you happy. So for example, if I have a client who's a mother and she's got young children at home and she's building a business, success for her looks very different than somebody who's got older children or no children and has different life priorities and they're ready to grow faster. But growth for both of those individuals just looks different, but they're still so successful and they're happy because they've defined what that means from a holistic lens. Yeah. And, uh, that's a good point too of, uh, you know, I, I love that example so much. So you have a, a single bachelor who spends $40,000 on a new car, for example, and you have a parent of three kids who needs that $40,000 to send to his kid's school. When the parent looks at the single bachelor with the $40,000 car, it's, you have to remember everyone's priorities are different. Like if you, <laughs> if you are willing to sacrifice your, your kid's college that you can have your car do it, but that's probably not that's probably not as important to you as your kids going to college essentially. So I love I love that example. And how do you help people find that that clarity to know what success looks like for them and what, what they want? Yeah, well, part of that, a lot of that is through sessions and coaching, but I also have resources that I use to kind of guide them through that. So I have for my clients, there's a visualization, a meditation they listen to that asks them questions that they can get quiet and kind of subconsciously tune in or go to sleep listening to that. Because a lot happens overnight when we're sleeping that we might not be consciously aware of and we solve problems overnight. And then also we've talked about briefly the life and business compass. It's really helping them fine tune that. So with the life and business compass, it's defining your five life priorities and being specific. So if if your children are important to you, what does success look like in a priority of your children? Does that mean you're spending two hours a night with them, like quality time? Does it mean you're picking them up from school every day? Does it mean you're doing three vacations a year? in a new country? Like, what does it mean to be successful for that priority? And so we define what are those five life priorities. We also define what are your three business or career goals for the next quarter. And then we put across the top, what is that passion, big motivating factor? Now, we also dig into your values beyond that, which is not in the compass. But what the compass does is it allows you to then start evaluating. If you look at your calendar, are you living your life according to what's on your compass? Most mm. people aren't. Okay, well, then how do you use that compass? I have it as a screensaver on my computer. I have it on my phone. I have it on my fridge. I talk to my friends and family about it so they understand my priorities and my goals. 
then it makes it easier so that when people ask you to do things that are completely out of align, alignment with your goals and your priorities, you say no. Because ultimately, when we say yes to everything, eventually we have to say no to the things that are going to give us the most momentum towards success on our own terms. So you must build that compass and you must live aligned to that. And you will ultimately be happier, healthier, and you'll have more time. Stop saying you're busy. And if you are busy, it should be with the good things that are making you happy. I love that. Stop saying you're busy. Yes. Not, I feel like there seems to be billboards like that everywhere. Because, uh, you know, as a coach myself and I'm meeting with clients and I'm, they tell me, I don't have any time for that. I'm like, all right, show me your schedule. Okay, well, at 9 a.m. I do this and I get done with work at 5 p.m. I'm like, okay, what happens between 5 p.m. and 10 p.m. when you go to bed? Oh, well, I guess I have a couple hours here and there I could <laughs> set aside. And so I love that that concept so much that, you know, busy it, people want to fi- use that as an excuse. But if you're serious about the potential you're going after the success you want to have, it doesn't always apply. And that does lead me to the next question I wanted to ask earlier about potential and um, how do you balance knowing your limits versus the potential you want to go after? I'm curious your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. So when I'm working with my clients, just like a purely a business example, but it applies to individual goals as well. We put together their product pyramid and that could be service or physical products, right? So you build that product pyramid and we look at your revenue goals and your growth goals. And we look at how many of each of those products do you need to sell? And particularly for people in the service industry, this really matters. So how do we know you've hit capacity? in one of these categories. And let's say this one product or the service sells really fast. How many of these other high-end products and services can you handle? And by the way, if we have the good problem of all of those selling, how are you going to scale next? And is that something that still brings you happiness and defines success on your own terms? So we do that so that we understand what capacity they have. And when they're starting to get close to the threshold, what is the plan? Are we going to put them on a waiting list? Are we going to scale up in a specific way with technology or a team so that they understand what it looks like? Because honestly, a lot of clients have trouble with getting more revenue because they actually subconsciously have this fear of, gosh, what if I sell too many of those? Which Hmm. is a great problem to have. Yeah. But if you're working with a mom or somebody who's really committed outside of their business, you can see how there's this kind of tug of war going on. Well, gosh, I want time with my kids, but I also want to be of service to my clients. Well, how do you balance that? You have to have a very clear plan on what success looks like in all aspects of your life and what capacity and limits you have for scaling that as an individual solopreneur or where you are today in your business and then have a plan for scaling that up so that you're not stressed out when that amazing problem of your business growing really fast happens. No, I I love that. So, so having a plan and and then, yeah, what's an example of someone thinking, Oh my gosh, my potential is to own, let's say a million dollar business one day. But then they start going, oh, geez, that's going to require 12-hour workdays for six months or or something like that. How would you help them guide them through clarity in that that process, essentially? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's different for each person, right? So some clients might have certain health limitations and they can't put in 12-hour days. 
By the way, for everybody listening here, I do not work 12-hour days, nor have <laughs> I ever worked 12-hour days in okay. my corporate career or in my professional career. Now, you mm-hmm. can sit there because we're all in the U.S. and say, wow, she's lazy. She must not be <laughs> successful. But I walk the talk of what I coach. Mm-hmm. I do not work exorbitant hours. Now, granted, if I do marketing for my book, that's a little different. Like, that was a little crazy. But then I take <laughs> a break. Yeah. So I would tell that person, okay, the year one. Let's say they're brand new to this. What is our revenue goal there? And by the way, also when I'm coaching people that are brand new, I highly advise and recommend that they either have a job or some sort of consulting gig or at least revenue to get started. Because realistically, a lot of businesses, unless you have capital going into it, it takes two to four years to get into the black, right? Yeah. Even if you're working hard. So why would you put that kind of pressure on yourself? Not to mention having the sales conversation when you're desperate for money is really hard and it doesn't yeah. work well. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. The first year and a half of my my career and starting my business, I was working 20 hours a week as a consultant. And I just went to my network and negotiated a higher consulting fee and even told them I'm starting a business. So I can only give you 20 hours a week but this is my fee. And I went to 10 people, two people came back. I got an offer with one person and they basically mm-hmm. helped fund my business. So I would say, get creative, you know, year one and year two, how are you going to fund that while you're building that? And then year three and four, you know, what's the acceleration rate? What's the growth percentage we're going after? And then by the way, there are going to be probably year five or six, there's going to be this almost burnout moment where you want to scale back growth for a year, just have steady growth versus accelerated growth so that you don't burn out. You still love what you're doing. So it's a balancing act. And ultimately, any goal that you set is possible. But when I'm coaching them, I want to make sure that they're really excited about it because it does take time and you have to be patient. And sometimes seeds that you're planting today will take 10 years to grow into a beautiful plant, right? And sometimes you'll plant seeds with a d- potential clients and they might take five years to become a client. This has happened to me, right? Hmm, wow. I've been on your list for five years and I, I'm like, great. Yeah, I'll take <laughs> I'm it. I'm glad that's, I'm just we're doing something. But it, I mean, yeah. your list is gold, your community, your networking is gold. Then it's about being having the right list and being there when the pain is big enough that there's urgency that they want to buy the thing that you're selling. And the more you consistently communicate that and consistently get out there and build your message and your brand, it's going to work. It just takes time. Yeah, Uh, that's super awesome. And tell us, so your your corporate journey is, so when you say you're able to do consulting right off the bat, I mean, what does that look like? I guess, because I haven't been in the corporate world yet. I don't know what that looks like, but you make it sound super easy. Oh, just go to a company and do an offer to consult for them. I mean, what, what does that mean? Well, I guess I should be a little more clear. So when I worked in corporate America, I was an executive and I worked mm. in technology. Um, ironically, I started out in nonprofit space. And when I moved to California, I needed to double my salary. And I just went through my network and this person mentor saw me and hired me into a director level role in technology and trained me on everything in IT. Wow. So thank you, John Charles. If you ever see this, you're amazing. So he invested in me and I went overnight from a research assistant to a director in technology as a woman, which is kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then I continued working in technology in different roles and I became really smart in like web coding, web design, web redesign, 
communications across projects, program management. And then even when I started working at Visa, I helped launch programs like basically their Genius Bar inside of the company. So it was an 80,000 employee global company at the time. And we test cased it in Foster City, California. And I was the person who put all the logistics together for that, pitched it, got the funding for it, and created the customer experience, was the spokesperson for it because our people didn't want to do that, and helped them launch that. And then I worked at you know a wine company, and I was their mobility and consumer experience director and helped work with AI, artificial intelligence, for streamlining processes for winemakers and wine sellers in the field so that they can improve revenue stream, but also then replicate parts of that for consumers. So all that fancy lingo to say that I had a level of expertise across several industries. And ultimately, where I got consulting work was in education. Because even while I was working at Visa, I was doing part-time contract work on the side as a consultant for... It was like New Revolution or something. It was this company that was helping education and educators at the administrative level create better student experiences connecting student data to teachers and Mm. to parents. And that has always been a passion area for me is education. So I've done education consulting on the side with the technology slant for years because my master's degree in public policy focused on education plus the technology. So it was kind of easy to get hired because I created those consulting opportunities along the way. Gotcha. Okay. So you can't just start from scratch and knock on some random company's doors. Well, you can. can You You can. Normally what I do is I work with um, my clients to see what their ninja skills are, what their superhero powers are. Yeah. And I mean, if you're really young, then yes, it's probably more difficult to charge as much as you'd like so that you can only work 20 hours a week to Mm. make what you are making 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. But That depends on the level of career you're at. I've helped quite a few people transition from corporate to starting a company and it's easy for them. But ultimately, people have more skills that you can do in a consulting role than you realize. They just don't have the mindset for it because they've never worked in that capacity. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And then if, if you don't mind sharing, how long did it take for you to match your corporate salary uh, when you became an entrepreneur and a coach? Um, I'm curious about that. Honestly, Andrew, I'm pretty close to doing it this year. Woo! All right. (laughs) Keep in mind, I was an executive in California. Like the salary was really high. I bet. Yeah. And then we've been through a pandemic. But yes. So four years. Oh, that's still, like you said, really uh, good. (laughs) That's still really good. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the the startup, like you said, the startup entrepreneurial life usually takes five to 10 years just to break even. And so uh, doing it within four years in the middle of pandemic. That's super awesome. (laughs) Pandemic, recession, all the challenges, the check, we've checked all the boxes here. So it's a bulletproof business. That's all I know is if you can do it, then you can do it anytime. I love it. I love it. And then tell us about uh, an example that you're of a client you're most proud of helping. Um, We're curious about um, your clients over the years that you've coached, any particular problem that's like helping someone get from zero to one or A to Z essentially. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of all my clients. I, uh, first of all, I'm pretty picky who I work with because Mm. you you really want to love working with your clients. You have to believe in what they're building and it's a relationship, right? And there has to be good chemistry and they have to be willing to take action. 
So I only work with individuals that I believe in, that I know are willing to take the action because it's not magic. So um, if I have to choose one, let's name her because of confidentiality. This is not her real name. Betty. (laughs) So um, (laughs) Betty. Yeah. Why not? Betty. Um, (laughs) As I said, for those listening, uh, cinnamon was the color of the bear that attacked Holly. Let's do that better. So we'll we'll go into that story later though. (laughs) Let's let's name her cinnamon. I like that. It's going to make me hungry though. And I'm going to want, you know, coffee cake and um, some coffee. So cinnamon, uh, she's a mom. And she was starting her coaching business and also offering some programs for women who were pregnant and transitioning to giving birth and had birthing classes she was taking to offer helping mothers through that experience. But she had two young children at home and an older child that was having some health issues and was in the middle of moving across country during the pandemic. And she also had a husband who was building his business while he also worked full-time in the financial sector. And so we had to really step back and look at what success really meant for her. And for her, having six coaching clients at a time was more than enough. And then having like a couple birthing classes per quarter, that, that was like perfect for her. That was her sweet spot. So we helped, I helped her build a plan so that she could scale that within, I think it was like eight months. So we filled those spots in eight months. So think about going from zero to 100% in eight months, like that's pretty fast. And it's been incredible seeing her continued journey. And we also did it in, in a way so that she could open a conversation with her husband and have the conversation of how can I support you in this business growth so their family was successful but also not butt heads on growing both of their businesses. And then she applied some of the work we did in our coaching and lended it to what he was trying to do with his business. And now they are incredibly successful. They're very happy. His business is taking off. I believe he's actually going to stop his corporate job. Wow. They both have successful businesses. Their kids are happy and they have a great balance. That is very awesome. Congratulations. Oh my gosh. And, and just out of curiosity too, what, what is your, your style of coaching? Do you work with clients for six months at a time, a year at a time? How, do, how does that work when you, when, if a client goes, Holly, I want to work with you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I used to have smaller packages. Right now, my smallest package is um, six months or 24 sessions. And the reason I do that now is I find that clients that have bought smaller packages, they don't hit the goals that they set. Like they set these really big goals that take time. And I only want clients that walk away feeling incredibly successful, satisfied and happy. And so I found that six months was kind of the sweet spot, especially when we're looking at all three components of health, clarity and business. And then they start getting into the momentum and accelerating their revenue goals, accelerating the foundations for their business. And they have huge success. And also my clients tend to renew. I'd say, I mean, it's still kind of early to have an average, but a lot of my clients stay with me for two to four years so far, if wow. not longer. Yeah. yeah. Dang. And so, so what's your retention rate then is about 60 plus percent then it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! Like sixty-five percent. Yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, what, what is your? Uh, I mean, obviously, besides making your clients happy and delivering results, what, what else would you say to other coaches and out there who want to have a higher retention rate with clients? Well, one of the things that I learned from my corporate experience was the importance of the customer journey. 
right? Mm. So you learn this with not just the digital space of mobility and website, but the actual experience. When you invest in yourself, especially coaching programs or big capital in your business, it's scary. It's exciting, but it's scary. And I mean, I invest in my business every year too. And I have that moment of like, ooh, it's a little scary, but really exciting. That's great. This is a sweet spot. But the first time you do that, you have to step back and remember that it's scary. So when they buy that and they take that leap of faith and they invest in themselves, you need to help them celebrate that and continue to be happy about that investment. And what that means is having some sort of gift when you onboard them. A reminder that, hey, you've got this. I believe in you. I'm here for you. So that they don't have buyer's remorse immediately. The worst thing is onboarding a client and then they're questioning it. They start to distrust you. They're not feeling good about themselves. We want to continue making them fans for life. And that means really evaluating constantly the customer experience, having check-ins over every three to six months. How are you feeling? And also it's documentation. So when I onboard a client, their contract has them outline what their goals are for our time together. So every three months I'm checking in. How do you feel about your goals that we've set? You know, we, I'm here are my notes on where you are with your goals. And I always look at them before every session. How are you feeling on the momentum to date? Is there anywhere you feel like you're lacking that we need to optimize? Also, I provide on-demand support for my clients between sessions. So if they're feeling stuck on something or they're negotiating something that's time sensitive, they can text or email me. Now, if they know when I'm out of town and stuff, that's different. But typically, I'm pretty quick to get back to them or send them a quick audio message. And they're really grateful for that because that helps them feel supported. and It helps build that trust and that partnership. And then I would just say you know, kind of seeding the continued work that you're going to do only if you believe that's something you can help them with, obviously. And I mean, I have clients that don't really have to continue working with me, but they like having the ideation and the support and the road mapping past that. And so we do more of a maintenance package, but it's just planting the seeds for, Hey, you're close to the end of your package. By the way, we have these other few things that we really need to dig into so that you're optimizing and getting to your goals, continuing that momentum and acceleration. No, it makes sense. I'm just taking notes here for people at home. So it's having a welcome gift, constantly doing check-ins, offering support outside of weekly calls. Um, as you get towards the end of the contract, it just make sure to let them know like, hey, we're getting towards the end of our contract here, but we still need to address these things. How can we make sure that you get there essentially? And then do you grandfather in prices for clients or do you, or do you keep increasing prices and applying those accordingly? No, I grandfather my clients into pricing unless, I mean, at some point, perhaps if it's like three years later and it's exorbitantly different, perhaps, but typically I keep them at the same price point. Because again, if, you, if you're smart and you're growing your business, you want to keep your customers. Yeah. It's so much more expensive to attain a new customer. You have that relationship. It's easier to coach them because you know them. You know their business. You know their blind spots. You can help them. So just grandfather them into that pricing. And I guess the last thing that I do, there are other things too, but I'm always thinking about my clients, right? So it's not like like I'm telling you I don't work these crazy hours, but... I could be out swimming and one of my clients has this pain point or this challenge and we haven't quite cracked the nut. I might spend a swim where I'm thinking, gosh, can we do this? Can we do that? Or I might sleep on it. I mean, a lot of times my clients will email me with a problem. Like, 
I hear you. I have it. I need to sleep on it. I'm going to get back to you in the morning. And so I'm always thinking about my clients and that includes introductions. So if I am on a podcast where my client would be a great guest or there is a great introduction for a partnership or a white labeling opportunity, I'm connecting them so that they're successful. Yeah. And when you're originally meeting with clients, how do you, it sounds like you work with a lot of clients. Are they, is it, do they invest themselves for the first time when they invest with you or have they already invested in other coaches and then, then, then they invest into you? I'm curious what kind of clients you usually work with. It's a combination. I would say it's a really good question. I'd say if I really think back on that, I'd say probably 30 to 40% have already worked with a coach or a marketing expert, right? And then maybe 50 to 60% have never worked with a coach. And I'm not even sure if that's right. I think it's probably higher. They've worked with a coach of some sort. A lot of them have actually been burnt by coaches. So they'll get on a Mm. call. Actually, I just closed a client, just started working with her recently. And she got on the, we, we had a LinkedIn coffee chat. And it was just to connect and learn about her business because she's in the holistic space. And we started chatting and, and it, she mentioned that she'd worked with a coach previously. And I said, oh, cool. Well, are you working with a coach on this, this transition that you're making in your business? And she said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, if you're ever looking for somebody to help you with that, that's something that I do. And, and she's like, well, you know, I was really burnt by two past coaches. And I haven't even considered working with a coach for the last two years. The fact that I'm even on this call with you is a big deal. And I said, okay, um, let's call her Beetle. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like my brain is dead. Beetle. So Beetle, right? We're talking about the woods. I'm going camping this weekend. Yes. So Beetle said, gotcha. well, I said, well, hey, Beetle, like, I understand that. And I've been there. I've heard a lot of people that have come to work with me in a similar boat. And it has to be the right chemistry, but it also has to be that the coach can help you with the specific problem you need to solve right now in your business. So if you're open to it, we can have a totally separate conversation when you're mentally prepared that's completely dedicated to evaluating that. It'll be a 30-minute call. You'll fill out this form, but only when you're ready and if you want to. And she said, let's do that. So we had the conversation. She also, I think, talked to a few of my clients because she was, you know, she'd been burnt. I get yeah. it. I said, yeah, let me give you three of my clients' phone numbers that um, let me make sure they're cool with it first that are probably going to help you specifically to the goals that you want to attain. And she did, she talked to them and she signed up and she's super happy. And like, we've had, I think three sessions so far, like longer sessions too. And she's just taking huge action and she's a perfect client. So yeah, there are a lot of people out there that have had coaches and they've been burnt. And when you're interviewing a coach, the first question I ask is who's your coach? Cause if they're not working with one or they're not in a mastermind, they're not growing. So why would you work with somebody who's not growing themselves? That's crazy. And then number two, when you're talking about your pain point, make sure they're an expert in solving that. If they're not, that's not the right fit. And then obviously you have to have chemistry, right? (laughs) Of course, of course. And, you know, obviously, you know, being a coach myself and help people with accountability and sales, like that's why I got into this this market is because, you know, I, I know what it's like to be in coaching programs where, um, you don't feel taken care of. You don't feel like they actually are, are helping you out or serving you. And it, it is difficult. And it is also tricky too, because, you know, it's a classic example of like, you know, two kids of, um, of alcoholic parents. You know, one of them is an alcoholic because his dad's an alcoholic. The other person never drinks alcohol because his dad's an alcoholic. And so like, I know there's a, there's a coach I, I hired her. She said that she joined a program that has like 
terrible reviews, but she's like, you know what, I'm going to make this program work. And then she, now she's bragged on Facebook recently. She just hit $2 million in her business. So as a coach, how do you help encourage people to take ownership over their own skills? And obviously being burned is a big spectrum um, of like, like hopefully the coach, her previous coaches didn't take her money and then completely ghost her. Like obviously it's a spectrum of things, but I guess the question is how do you help empower people to take action versus relying on the coach or relying on the program? Well, I mean, when I have a sales conversation with a prospective client, I am very real with them. I say the clients who get the most out of this are the ones that are willing to take action come hell or high water and they trust me. Mm. If you don't trust me, there's absolutely no point in us working together. And obviously it's a partnership. It's not me telling you what to do. We're discussing what's best based on your life priorities and who you are and your business goals. But if you don't trust me, it's not going to work. If it's not a partnership, it's not going to work. And it depends on how much, you, how much you put into it. I mean, I've had coaching programs and my coaches always tell me that I'm their favorite client. And I think it's because like I will put together a structure. I'll put a Google Drive folder together and I'll have my homework and I'll have these fold in these. And I'm just like, hey, before our next call, like three days in advance, here are all the things I want to cover. Wow. And, as a client, then, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dang. Yeah. And actually my new client does the same. I'm like, oh, I love this. It's like we're nice. the same person. But you get more out of it that way. It's structured. It's specific. And, and then you have that back and forth. You're, you're both equally invested in it. If I have clients that are hungry and they want this and they're going to take action. And by the way, part of that is investing in yourself. You show up in a different way when you invest in big dollar programs. I mean, I invested, I think, 25000 this year in a mastermind slash some coaching. And, and for me, it was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And as soon as I started it, I had my first little one-to-one session. And I said, great, here are the things I want to do. And, and by the way, let's, let's put the plan together right now because I'm going to take every action you give me. And it works. It's incredible. It's, it's, it was a no-brainer. But you have to show up with that tenacity, that willingness to change, that willingness to be coachable. That's the other thing. If you're not coachable, meaning um, I say, you know, hey, Andrew, your lead gen has some holes in it or your customer onboarding process could use some improvement. Let's talk about this. And you don't want to hear that. What's the point? Yeah. I mean, there are moments where I'm going to be really nice. And then there are moments where I'm going to be like, well, what's your sales conversion? Okay, ten percent. Mm, we got to work on your sales conversation. That's pretty low. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. And I, I know it's also kind of the the joke of the industry too of coaches hire other coaches or pay other coaches or coaches coach clients and how to coach while while being coached themselves. And it's just kind of like this 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 never ending loop. And for people who don't know much about the space, uh, and obviously you're proud of the fact you invested twenty five thousand and. You know, what, what I tell some people is $25,000 um, might make or break someone's life and it might be a pocket change to someone else. So, you know, that, that's the first thing is everything's perspective. Um, but for people who aren't into that coaching space, because obviously, you know, I have coaches and I, I love coaching. I'm a big advocate of the coaching industry. But, you know, when you talk to a lot of or you talk to other people who aren't familiar with the coaching space, like, why the hell would I pay someone to tell me what to do or tell me how to help me? Like, what do you tell people who aren't familiar with the coaching space about the importance of investing in themselves and, and hiring a coach? Like you said, like all, all the time and taking that risky cheer. Uh, a lot of things. I mean, first of all, 
we're coaches, Andrew, you and I, mm-hmm. how often are you really good at following your own advice in your personal life without having a coach call you out on it? Like, I don't know about <laughs> you, but like probably yeah, pretty true. close to 0% of the time. What's funny yeah. is like, now that I've been in this longer, I have these moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just had this conversation with Jane Doe and, and I told her to do this. Why am I not doing that in this part of my life? Yeah, Whoa, seriously. light bulb. But that doesn't happen until you've been doing this work for a long time. And so here's the thing. You have blind spots. And I, I, my favorite thing when I hear on a sales call is um, there's just these tiny tweaks I need to make. Those tiny tweaks are gold mines. That's billions of dollars hiding in these crevices, these tiny little things you need to fix. And if you haven't figured it out on your own, you're not going to. So if you're, got, get, if you're to the point of considering a coach, guess what? Hire them. Hire a good one, but hire them. What are you waiting for? You're going to like literally just scavenge the internet for all this nonsensical information that's overwhelming and get stuck with shiny object syndrome? Or are you going to work with somebody who's going to tell you exactly the next step you need to take so that you're successful on your own terms? And I mean, I've kicked myself in the past for when I hired my first coach. I took too long. I lost so much momentum. I'd probably already, you know, be at a different milestone today if I hadn't waited. What are you waiting for? If it's important, do it. Life is way too short. You got this, right? (laughs) You got this. You got this. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And then uh, the next question I had is, you know, being a successful entrepreneur yourself and, you know, matching your corporate salary after four years is a very big deal. What are some of the non-negotiable actions as an entrepreneur in order to be successful? Well, so this is, it's really interesting to me when I have folks come to me and they're like, I want to be an entrepreneur and start my business for freedom. I'm like, okay, but you realize it takes this much work and this much time. I think one non-negotiable, you have to have unwavering faith in yourself, in your mission, and in what you're trying to achieve. If you do not have unwavering faith, I'm telling you right now, listen, and you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. Now, if you have pretty solid faith and belief in yourself and this mission, sometimes you need to borrow some faith and belief. And that's where a mentor and a coach comes into play, right? But if you don't have something that you feel that deeply inspired and passionate about, why are you trying to build it? It takes so much time, commitment, passion, patience. It is like raising a child. It's so much effort. It is so much work. It's totally worth it. But I really want you to dig deep and make sure it's something that you're really passionate about. It also requires you taking action. It's not magic. So stop pretending to work on your business. We all do this from time to time. I'm sure Andrew and I fall into this occasionally too. And we get a kick in the butt from our mastermind or our coach. (laughs) And we're like, oh, I'm doing that. Womp womp. Do things that are revenue generating. You do not have a business until you have dollars coming into your business. So stop fooling yourself and thinking, oh, I'm writing this blog. I'm doing this other thing. Like, yes, those are necessities for your business, but get into phone calls, revenue, revenue generating phone calls, build your referral partners, build your network, build your business community. These are essential. And your business community is liquid gold. You need your partners so that when you get stuck or you have this thing, you have partnerships to work with and build your email list. I know it's old school, but your email list is liquid gold. And if you build on a separate platform, like we're streaming to Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, et cetera, what happens when those companies decide to let us stop doing that and stop selling from there? 
build your foundation on firm roots, have faith in it, build your community and network, get a mentor and a coach. And you better have unwavering faith that you constantly refuel and stay inspired so you don't get burnt out on the journey. And then the last thing, celebrate your successes. And I don't mean just getting to the top of the mountain. I mean, enjoy the journey. You know, like get your first client. That's huge. You get your first 10 people on your email list. Celebrate that. I have literally on my counter upstairs, a jar of awesome. And I have post-its and pens next to it. And I write down awesome things every day because guess what? We have days that suck. And we have days where we're like, why are we doing this? I mean, I'm human. I have those moments. I still have unshakable faith and belief, but I have these moments where my chemistry or my sleep is off and I'm like, why am I doing this? And I go to my jar of awesome. I go to my testimonials for my book, my testimonials for my client. And that reminds me of my mission and purpose. I love that. I love that. You definitely got me fired up here, Holly. Uh, <laughs> no, that's very inspiring. And and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this because I think it is a, a great inspiring note to end off on. But when you're doing your lead generation for your business with the unwavering faith, um, I know like the, I'm sure like the top thing clients or people here when they're starting their business is like, oh, do I use Facebook or LinkedIn? And what, what do I say? And how do I go about it? And uh, before this call, you're mentioning how you do LinkedIn outreach marketing campaigns. I guess the first question is, what do you say when you reach out to people? How did you discover and how did you discover that process? And those two questions. So I'll say, how do you know what to say when you're reaching out to people on LinkedIn? Because I know if you're like me and everyone else, we feel like we get like a hundred <laughs> uh, messages per day of people saying, "Hi, we should work together. Pay me money, and let's book a call here." <laughs> Yeah. So, well, first of all, I actually help people set this up. So if you're interested in listening to this and you want like the whole full curtain pulled back and, and building out a campaign that works for literally anything you can imagine on LinkedIn, um, feel free to reach out. But what the connection message that I use right now that seems to be resonating uh, and it's targeted to, for me and people in the holistic space or people with speaking opportunities is, Hey, Andrew, LinkedIn keeps suggesting that we should connect and I can see why. I love what you're doing at your business. Let's connect and see what magic we can create. Mm, Holly. I like that. Nice. It's not selling. It's genuine. And then I like to follow up with um, what my mastermind teaches, give, give, get. So you're giving two things, whether it's, hey, if there's somebody in my network I can introduce you to, let me know who that is. By the way, I noticed this small tweak you can make on your LinkedIn profile that seems to be helping a lot. By the way, I'd love to hop on a virtual coffee to learn more about you and your goals and see what magic we can create. I love that. Give, give, get. Yes. It's just kind of like, what was it? Uh, jab, jab, right hook kind of thing. <laughs> but give, give, Now get. you're making Sounds me think better. of BBT, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I want to make sure, uh, yeah, we have about 10 minutes left here. Tell us the, because uh, obviously it's very scary to be involved in the entrepreneur space and be involved as a you know, budding coach or, or coach in general. Tell us the story of uh, when you came across a bear, um, which you named Cinnamon, <laughs> and how, how, that, how that changed your life. Yeah. Well, and by the way, for those of you who haven't, well, nobody's seen the TEDx yet unless, unless you were live. When that comes <laughs> out, it's really a great version, um, very animated version of what happened. So you should watch the video. So I had been, I just went through a divorce and I had some layoffs and I was kind of going through this 
evaluation of life. So I was in a codependency program to work through my part of what failed and just really reflecting on my next season of life. But I was struggling with the next step of that program, which was doing a spiritual inventory, which simply meant reflecting on all the wrongs I had done to others and the wrongs they had done to me. And so I decided, because I love the outdoors, um, I wanted to go backpacking. And since none of my friends were cool enough to want to do that, I decided to go alone. (laughs) It's hard to find backpacking friends. Mm -hmm. So um, as I build up to this trip, everybody kept saying, are you going to bring bear spray? And I said, I've been backpacking a million times. I don't need bear spray. It's fine. Had a bear can and all the things. So I got on my trip enjoying it. Like I'm in Lassen National Park and I'm in this part of the forest that was burnt down years ago but you can see the decimation and it was kind of the perfect scenery to reflect on the wrongdoings uh, that I had done and received in life. So I'm just thinking and processing this while I'm hiking and backpacking into my first night. The first night there were some people there, but I camped separately. And then the next day, nobody was, I didn't see anybody on the trail. And I got to my campsite for that second or third night and There was nobody there, but then there were some guys camping way down the lake. So they shouted towards me and I just thought they were saying hi. And eventually I realized they were shouting that there was a bear. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So there's a bear and there, the bear is kind of like on the sandbar. My campsite's here and the guys are over there and the bear hasn't seen me. So I back away, not turning my back to the bear, back away to their campsite. The bear proceeds to go towards my campsite. So the guys help me take pots and pans and get my stuff and I camp near them. So these guys are cool. We had some lovely whiskey and cigars. Yes, that was beautiful. And we shared stories. And then the next morning we talked about this bear and over coffee, they told me how unusual this bear was and how they had to charge her back. And they were a group of seven guys. It's very unusual. So I said, okay, well, how do you charge a bear? And they showed me. So then we go our separate ways. They were doing a seven-day trip. So they were going the opposite direction. I take off. And at this point, the forest is, this is old forest. It's not burnt down. It's super lush, super green, super deep. And I've been hiking for three or four hours. And seen nobody. It's just me. They're hiking the opposite direction. We're eight hours apart. I'm still really far from the parking lot. And I glanced down and I saw fresh bear paw prints. So I keep walking. I'm kind of like praying a little bit like, gosh, I hope that it's not here. I noticed another set of smaller paw prints. So obviously this is a mama bear during a drought, wrong place, wrong time. So at this point, I was just kind of on edge waiting to run into her. I take the next turn on the corner, which you couldn't see around the corner of the trail. Wait, you kept following the paw prints you'd immediately go well you have to get to the (laughs) you have to get to the car andrew to get back the other oh this is you trying to get back to to civilization yeah it's a loop it's a loop and if i had backtracked then it would have been days to get back and then the, the people that knew where i was going would have been freaking out and the bear already ran into them in other territory so there wasn't really an option. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Just for the yeah. horror story audience here, like, why did you run into the shed with all the chainsaws? <laughs> I know, right? Right. Yeah, there was this is the only way to get back unless you backtracked. And there was probably just equally as high of a risk running into her the other way. Gotcha. So I turned the next corner on the trail and there she is. 
So she immediately starts charging towards me. And if you've ever almost died, time really does stand still. Like it goes really slow. And so I remember thinking vividly, and it's funny now, it wasn't funny at the time. Hey, this is a great time to go. Like I've journaled forgiveness. I'm in a great place. People are going to see that I forgave them and that I'm happy. I'm peaceful. And then I was like, but I didn't come out here to die. I came back out here to get clarity and live yeah. my life. So then I remember what the guys told me. I took a step forward and I was like, Roar! really, really loud towards this bear, right? Just screaming at this bear. And it didn't work. <laughs> so she keeps running towards me, <laughs> closing the gap. So this time my life flashes before my eyes again. And I'm like, if this is going to happen, make it fast. I don't want to be out here kind of partially bleeding out in the woods, mangled. Yeah. But then I was, I got angry again and I charged her again. Took one more step forward and ah, like super, super loud, right? Sounded like bears fighting in the woods. And it worked. She stopped, kind of looked at me and dropped her head and walked away. I was like, great. So I, I held my ground. I'm just like standing here with my arms up like, okay. <laughs> and I waited for their, her to be gone for a while. And then I ran <laughs> to civilization until I saw people. And, and it, was, it was really scary. And still to this day feels surreal. But for example, when I did the TEDx talk and I was starting to get jittery and got, had nerves, I said, Holly, you faced a bear in the woods. <laughs> Come on, you've got yeah. this. This is not a bear in the woods. And the irony is I have the bear story in the TEDx and I had to do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a that's a great story because it's you know, it's it's just like I think people forget that too. Like something might not work the first time, but doesn't mean you shouldn't try it again the second time. And so that's a cool part of your obviously it's a scary story in general, but it is kind of cool looking back on, I should say that like, yeah. it might not have worked the first time, but you're like, you know what? I just got to go harder next time. I feel like they do that in all the superhero movies too, where like as they're developing their powers and they, they try and fly, for example, and all they can do is get five feet off the ground and like, I'm going to do this. And then they finally fly. And so, yeah. Well, and I mean, I tell people <laughs> in that talk, stop playing dead, right? Yeah. If you play dead, it's probably going to kill you and mangle you. You're going to lose an arm, a head, possibly. And then also stop, you know, trying to run away from the bear in your business or your life. Like, let's face your fear head on. Let's figure this out. And ultimately, when you listen to the TEDx talk, the fear method gives you exactly what you need to face any fear, any chronic pain, any challenge in life head on, just like a bear. I love that. I love that. Well, as we wrap up, Holly, I have a few questions left. One of them is, as someone who's obviously very passionate about what you do, what does get you fired up to get out of bed each day? What's your, your mission and vision that you're striving for? It's obviously, it's, I can hear it in your voice, the inspiration of it. Oh, it's inspiration and healing. For me, it's about inspiring at least one person every day to do better, to do more, to smile, to be seen, feel it felt and heard. A lot of people don't feel seen and heard and, and it goes, it coincides with healing when we're living our life purpose, when we're living from a stance of inspiration and paying it forward and spreading that we're healing our lives, we're healing others and it has a ripple effect and our world really needs some healing and inspiration right now. I love that. And I agree. And tell us um, about the life and business compass resource you have. Uh, tell us what that is. What that's about. 
Yeah, so we've talked about that a few times. Uh, if you use the link that Andrew's going to put in the chat and in the stream, it's a free download. And you're going to fill out your five life priorities, your three business goals, and your long-term motivating factor. And then like we talked about earlier, you're going to use that as a screensaver on your phone, your computer, print it in your office, share it with your family, your business partner, your family, your friends. And it helps you get clear on what to say yes and no to. It is literally your guiding compass. And when you start living your life aligned to that, you will see momentum. You'll stop backing yourself into a corner of busyness and overwhelm, and you'll be much more clear. Love it. And then we also see, or I know you have a book you want to show people as well. Um, You're doing an offer of uh, people sign up for a coaching call. They get a copy of your book. Yeah. Sign up for a coaching call. You'll get a copy of Inspiration, Contagion, Health Secrets for Raving Success. All right. Grab a coaching call, reference Andrew's show, and I will send you an e-copy of the book. Perfect. And then uh, final two questions. What's the best way people can get a hold of you? If they're like, oh my gosh, Holly, I got to talk to you more. How can I contact you? So you can find me on LinkedIn at Holly Jean Jackson. You can find me at my website at Holly Jean Jackson, or you can email me at guess what? Holly at Holly Jean Jackson.com. <laughs> love it. Love it. And then the final thing is what's the one takeaway you want people to have from this interview? Maybe you've, you've said it a few times, maybe you haven't, but if people were to look back on it, what's like the one takeaway you want them to have? My key message when I do these interviews is to take action that matches the size of your dreams. So that means digging into your inspiration and then stop waiting. You're the only one that's going to make it happen. So take that first step, take action that matches the size of ultimately what you dream of and what you want. I love it. Holly, Jean, everyone, thank you again for coming on the show. Make sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Rapid Results and we'll see you all soon. Cheers, everyone. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.